Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Took a 60 bus out and Dr. Campbell Benzonato. He was on there, he was waiting for me. While the punk rockers and the moon stompers were out on the corners where the spare for change. I started thinking, you know I started tricking. I don't really remember too much of that. What's up, Lars? How are you, dude? Good, man. How are you? Mate, I'm stoked. I, I'm absolutely honored to have you on the show, man. It, uh, it means yeah. the world you've taken the time out. And yeah, I'm just going to jump straight into this because there's so much that I want to talk to you about and pick your brains about. But are you all set your end? You're, you're hot to trot? Let's go. Amazing. So, dude, for me growing up, my two favorite bands from the age of like 12 to 16 on constant soundtrack was No Effects and Rancid. Obviously very different bands, but what you really did was kind of, you spoke to different sides of my psyche and soul during those really for, really formative years. No Effects was kind of the snarky, sarcastic, piss-takey, you know, kind of teaching me to look at the world a little bit differently. What Rancid did, and I was a kid from a broken family and I didn't have the best situation at home, what Rancid showed me was that there was other people out there that had real pain, real struggles, but also real joy, real triumph. And through music and your friends, you know, you find a respite f- from some of the darkness in life. And, you know, your band soundtracked some of the greatest memories of my youth, man. So just like thank straight you. up off the bat, I wanted to say before we get into the interview, thank you. Um, it's just Perfect. clear that you guys lived it. You know, you, you sung about real life, real life characters, real life situations. 
So could we begin, um, if you're all right, going there with your upbringing, your childhood and, and the kind of things that informed your young mind as you were starting <laughs> out in, in the world? Well, my mom was a Danish immigrant and she grew up in Nazi occupied Denmark in World War Two. And, uh, you know, so that was one half. And then the other half is my father, who was born, you know, was first generation American. And he was born actually not too far. Actually, where Matt and Tim are from Albany, California, he was born in Albany Hospital. And, uh, you know, he was an alcoholic and was made a ward of the court when he was about four years old. So his, his actually my grandmother, his mother, um, after her and her, uh, his father, um, split up, she married another guy who didn't want the kids. So she just gave them up. And basically my dad grew up in, in, you know, juvenile halls, California youth authorities, which is basically what we called the farm when I was a kid and when they couldn't find them in foster homes. So I think that like, you know, those two people having kids and maybe it wasn't, you know, going to be the best outcome, you know, as far as like, um, you know, their relationship. Uh, so I feel like, you know, my dad was out of the picture pretty early by the time I was three, my older brother would have been seven. And I remember uh, when they were started to divorce, my mom took me and my brother and got on a plane and went to, back to Denmark and we were going to stay there. Uh, two reasons she didn't want us to grow up without the dad around, even though he was never around. Um, and there was no jobs in Denmark in the seventies. So she, she took us back to the States. So, and from then on, she kind of like put herself through school and, and got a job and it was always pretty chaotic in the house, you know? So, um, where we grew up was, you know, kind of what your version of tenement housing was project housing, we called it. And, uh, we were sort of working poor before there was like a term, you know, before it was a term. Um, so I think coming from that place and, and, and it was a very mixed neighborhood, there was all kinds of different races and, and um, growing up in that. So that was a good thing, you know, because, you know, all my friends, the, the thing that we all had in common is we were fucking poor. Right. So um, but I think that the, the survival mechanisms that you acquire when you come from a broken home or a violent, you know, neighborhood or whatever it is these things that you attach yourself to, to either a validate you or give you a sense of purpose. Um, I kind of went to them pretty quick. And then when I found punk rock and rock and roll, I mean, it, first it was rock and roll, like man, it's like kiss and ACDC and cheap trick and stuff in the Ramones. And once I saw the Ramones, that's my favorite like, shit right there, dude. Fair enough. So, <laughs> and I think that like when, um, you know, I kind of discovered the punk rock stuff, Sean Gregonis, this guy had moved in up from San Luis Obispo and he was like the first punk rocker. So this was been, 1979 uh ironically i just we just spread his ashes on the bay on halloween but uh and he was only 55 you know so it's like um you know so we had this like kind of crew of like misfits and that's kind of how i found punk rock and then going to shows and finding you know drugs and alcohol became the solution uh to a lot of things you know so i feel like you know it, when i look back you know, at the time when you're living it, you're not thinking how fucked up this is. Of it's course, like yeah. when you get get a little distance from it and you kind of look back on it and you go, man, that was fucking crazy. You know, so uh, my mom did the best, obviously, that she could, you know, with, with what she was given. So and I think that, you know, because she she didn't even have a high school education. She had to move away when she was in her teens to help, the, you know, support the family and work on farms, you know, so um 
And then when she came to America for, to find a new life for herself, she stayed, but she didn't speak a lick of English. You know, she, she learned English by watching like Leave it to Beaver and Flipper, which were like a TV shows, you know? So we used to tease her and say that, that she always sounded like a dolphin because Flipper was a dolphin. So I used and, to watch you know, Flipper. I remember always, Flipper. There you go. So, and then, you know, we used to tease her about that and we used to tease her about the Nazis not coming anymore. Cause she used to collect like the, she'd like, we'd get like a bar of soap. Right. And then she'd take the little sliver of soap left and then collect them and then make a bar of soap out of all these little slivers of bars of soap. And so she was very thrifty, let's just say, and we were poor, you know, so there'd be times, you know, Christmas and stuff like that. You're not finding anything underneath the tree and you, maybe you're having, you know, cereal for Christmas dinner, but that was just kind of part of the deal, you know? Um, and I think that struggle was really like important for me, even though maybe it didn't feel the best at the time um, because there was no participation trophies back then. You know, there wasn't any crying in safe spaces and trigger words and all that other bullshit that people are attaching to now. It was just like kind of real life and you kind of just had to deal with it. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, but, but with that comes like the sense of like, you know, overwhelming sense of like having to survive and not just being DNA in my DNA, but it just like, it was like, you got to survive. And however you do that is just the way that you're going to do that. So, you know, consequently, I got locked up for the first time when I was about 11 years old and, and sort of, you know, got into trouble. And, uh, but, you know, the punk rock thing, I think, oh, you know, and I know it's kind of cliche, but it kind of saved my life in a lot of ways because it gave me a sense of belonging it gave me a sense of uh, validity and it made me feel like I was part of something. And that's probably why, um, you know, I am or who I am today. But at the same time, being a 50 year old man now, it's like I'm looking back at a lot of that stuff and a lot of those survival instincts and survival mechanisms I used, you know, all the way up until my 40s, obviously. It was very hard to shed that kind of uh, behavior. <clears throat> I feel like they don't serve me now that, that, you know, that's my kids are not going to have my childhood, you know, and uh, you know, those types of things. So I feel like that's kind of what it was like. And what happened is, you know, was obviously, you know, gnarly craziness. And then what it's like now it's, 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 tr I'm trying to, to live a different kind of life, you know what I mean? And it's just taken me a long time to get there. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because the the song Skunks on your first solo album and, you know, as much as I loved Rancid as a kid, when I get to college and I'm 17 and I still don't drive to this day, but my best friend Greg, when he got his license, we would drive to and from college every day with, I mean, I love both the solo records, but especially the Viking album. Like he recorded that from CD to tape because we only had tape players in the car at that time. And every day on the drive to college would be that Viking record just over and over and over. And there's obviously the song Skunks where you're saying like, you can't take the gang out the man. And before I'd heard your EP, I was going to ask you how you thought about a song like that now. And you've obviously, you know, you've readdressed the song and covered it well you can't cover your own song but you know you re-recorded it for the records and it's super interesting obviously you know this album and this time this covid time that we've all been in i gather you've had some stuff going on personally aside from the pandemic as well oh, yeah that's put you in a reflective mood right and and inspired you to look back take stock and, and figure out how you're going to move forward is that where you're at well yeah i think the skunk song you know you know, that's always going to be a big part of like my growing up, you know, it was a big, it was a gang, you know, it was like all of us against the world, you know, it was, 
the punk rockers, the skinheads, and the ones that just wanted to come and drink beer. And we clicked up <clears throat> because, you know, at that time being a punk rocker or a skinhead or anything like that, it was a little bit, you know, different. You know, you had fucking jocks and cowboys trying to kick your ass. You had the cops hassling you. There was no, no hot topic reason. back then. It wasn't commodified no, yet. No, no. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we were getting tattoos, you know, you know, stuff like that to try to, you know, separate ourselves and be different and stuff like that. And, I think the skunks thing when we all kind of came together and that was the one universal thing that I think has been out through my life is this unity thing, you know, and you know, what I'm coming to find now is that there's so much separation in the world that it's just, it's boring. It's stupid. It's like, you know, it's everything so fucking polarized politically or, you know, just a fucking a pandemic polarizes people. It's like, you know, some people don't believe it's real. Some people believe it's real. Some people just, you know, whatever. Some people want to wear masks. And I mean, in America, it's fucking ridiculous because you've got like this, 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 this whole thing where no matter if you're on the left or on the right, there's no room for you in the middle, you know? And so for a guy like me who kind of like, just kind of, <clears throat> I'm more in line of like letting people do whatever the fuck they want to do. Which is a true kill. liberal. That's the true definition of a liberal to me is you well, don't judge well, anyone else for their actions if, as long well, as they're not hurting anyone. That's the thing. It's like we have this competition in the Bay Area and it feels like and what I see and is like it's how uh, more woke we can be than the other person. And it's really what it's doing. It's fascism. And yeah. it's kind of like, well, if you don't think like me, if you don't act like me, if you don't talk this certain way, then you're not... Um, you're not a good human being and you'd vote for Donald Trump and you're an anti-vaxxer and you're, it's just fucking stupid. It's like, I'm wondering when people are actually really going to take a look at really what's going on. <clears throat> and I feel like what's really going on in my personal opinion, it's not like some crazy fucking flat earth shit. <clears throat> it's like the dystopian world that we've been predicting for the last 40 years is upon us. Yeah. And when I'm, when I'm at a baseball game and they're offering me two free hot dogs with my first vaccination shot, I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, I watched this show Handmaid's Tale. I'm thinking, well, how close are we to fucking to that? You know, so it's like, you know, one of these things that I, I keep looking at is like, you know, where we are as a society. And I just feel like there's so much division because no one can take the, take a moment to hear the other person out. You know, what I mean, it's always kind of like I have to be right in, in this. And I think that's just fucking stupid. It just creates separation between human beings. And at the end of the day. It's like, if you're trying to unify people, you don't yell at them, you know, in their face with your fucking opinions. Like I'm a punk rocker, right? Born and bred, basically. You found me, right? You yell your opinions in my face. I'm either going to punch you in the fucking face or I'm never going to fucking listen to you. And I'm going to buckle down 10 times harder on my fucking belief system and, and do everything I can to make you feel uncomfortable. I mean, and that's kind of like what's inside of me, <clears throat> you know, just kind of like it's just there but that's been like the big thing for me is kind of like well you know just allowing people to be like that allowing people to have these different kinds of thoughts and opinions and if they want to be a hateful piece of shit then go ahead who am i to get in the way of that because i a lot of my friends that i knew that were very judgmental and including myself you know or very spiteful or hateful like there comes a point where you hit a bottom with that right because you realize that isn't fucking working for me and then you slowly start to mature and you start to change those attitudes and those thoughts and that outlook, right? And as a consequence of that, your life starts to change and maybe you become more willing. Maybe you come, become more tolerant or honest. And it's like, <clears throat> if I'm eliminating that to even happen for another human being, 
then I'm not allowing that person to their human experience. And I'm not allowing them, that person that for that growth to figure it out. Like, oh shit, maybe I am doing something right. So I, you know, I feel like what has changed most for me now is like, and, and it's because of this spiritual path that I've gotten myself on, like really, really, really fine tuning it and really, really re, uh, committing to it. And I've always been a spiritual person. And I don't mean that it's religion and spirituality are two totally different fucking things. I hear you, Dave. So for me, like, you know, it's not about Jesus or Buddha or fucking Muhammad or any of that stuff. It's not about, that's not what it's about for me. I think when I was growing up and, you know, my mom, you know, sort of instilling somewhat of her values in, into myself and my brother, it was a very like pagan you know, sort of perspective, you know, about the earth and the energy and the trees and the fucking, you know, kind of like this stuff that I used to think was hippie shit, whatever, you know what I mean? And, but I mean, the real pagans, the real kind of, I mean, it's the Viking in me, obviously, but like I gravitated towards more of that. So like, you know, I was finding a connection with the fucking oceans and the things like that and really kind of looking at the world in a whole different place. And in, 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 in turn, letting go of a lot of those things. Like I was talking about those stories that I held, um, you know, I've always had a, an, a, I feel like a very good moral compass, right. But the stories and the survival mechanisms were always kind of getting in the way of certain things like true intimate relationships and things like that. And when I start, when I could start, when I headed down a couple of years ago, as a result of a, my second divorce, and my mom passing away, like, um, it brought up so much pain and so much like I had to look at myself yet again. And, and, and there's been times in my life and I've not really ever talked about this because a, I never felt comfortable or, or could find the words to describe how I was feeling. And I'm just kind of starting to do it now, but B just because I didn't think it was anybody's fucking business. Right. So um, it was a combination of both. Now I just don't give a fuck. Like I don't really care. Like I'm 50 years old. I've got two kids hopefully have a few more. And um, I'm at this point, if I got another 30 years on planet earth, I'm not going to fucking sit around and do the shit I did in my first 50. You know, I don't know if that answered your question. And I just, I realized it totally went on a tangent, but this for me is exactly what I want to do is just talk to you, man, just one-on-one -on -one. and, and hearing that is really refreshing for me because you know, there is so much crazy division in the world at the moment. And there does come a time when I like that kind of approach and perspective where you just have to step back and go some, it's not, an, and it's not a case of not caring. It's just, you, we can't really change certain tides, can we? So all we can do is make the, you know, the positive difference in our little world and just focus on those that we care about trying to be the best that we can be and just enjoying life. And, and that's it right there. It's the simple secret to peace and happiness, isn't it? Well, I think it's like, you know, just being a father now, you want your kids not to go out and be in the world and be assholes. There's enough fucking assholes. And a great and a great man once told me if there's more than three assholes in your life, there's a great chance you're the asshole. So I've kind of always taken that to, to heart. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, as we move, maneuver through life, you know, the, the, we're, we're, you know, it's not the outside world that's ever gonna that's ever gonna fix us. Sorry, that's all right. That ringtone's um, kind of anxiety inducing. It sounds like a firework going off. <laughs> it's supposed to be like a spooky thing. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, but because uh, I love horror movies and stuff, but like I think about like um, you know I might as well just put this fucker on silent. This is about <laughs> the time when I start getting blown up. 
One of the things that in the trappings that we that I feel like I get in my experience that I've found over the years is like thinking that something outside is going to fix me, you know. And I remember uh, when I was a kid, and I always wanted to be somewhere else. I always wanted to be someone else. I always wanted to, you know, be anything. I wasn't very comfortable in my own skin. And when I found punk rock, it was like it was a license to just be fucked, right? It was a license to just be as crazy and whatever. So when I became a little skinhead, when I was like fucking 11 years old, walking around, shout, oi, 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 in my boots and braces, like, it was like, it gave me this sense of pride and it gave me this sense of like strength, you know what I mean? And I attached myself to that. And, uh, you know, I would fight at a drop of a, hat, a drop of a hat. I'd drink at a drop of a hat. I would use a drug at the drop of a hat. I'd fucking, you know, try to fucking have sex. I would try, you know, I would try to do all these things to fix like all of what, what I, the, the, like this big hole that was right in here that I, I never could really fill. So no matter how much things that I got that were good in life or whatever, trying to fill the hole, it never completely like made me, made me center, you know? So, and I think that like one of the things I try to teach my kids is like not that outside world is never where you're going to find security and love and happiness. It's always going to, it's an inside job. And I remember writing a song about uh, antisocial on the first Bastards record. And that's kind of what I was talking about. I was kind of talking about like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this m massive introspection of myself growing. And now I'm getting, <coughs> excuse me, more and more introverted, you know, and now I'm feeling much more angry. And it's because what I'm finding inside is not really what's what's making me whole. You know what I mean? And throughout my journey in my life, you know, whether it be with women or whatever it is, like I've never had these, especially with women, because they're the intimacy relationship, that relationship of actually letting somebody, a partner, for instance, because I've I'm, you know, been divorced twice, really letting them in, really allowing them to love me, really allowing them to know me. You know, like I would give that to my friends, you know, to my, bro my, my bros, they would get a, a, a far deeper snapshot of who I was before I would give that to another woman and um or to a woman and um i found myself just kind of ending up in the same place over and over and over again with the same types of people like picking the same types of people to partner up with and never having success because sounds a lot like my life Lars. i hear you well but i mean but so for for me what i had to do is i had to take a step back and i had to kind of go well what do i really want how do i feel like I, you know it's like i could love my children in a certain way and I could love them hard because they're the most important thing, but there was only a, to a certain extent I could love another per, uh, another person outside of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so, and I and I and I feel like you know a lot of the growth that's that's happened for me over the last couple of years has been exactly that: being able to just be free with that. Um, you know, this is who I really fucking am, and you know, for me, it's like, you know, it doesn't. It's not about like a uh, personality change. It's not about a, um, uh, 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 um, uh, I don't know how to, how, what the other word might be. It's more of a, an emotional thing for me. So, and well, it's I don't just think growth, a lot of right? People, it's personal growth. Well, it's maturity really. And, and I think that, you know, attaching that spiritual sense to that and living, trying to live that life, I'm finding that I'm I'm getting to know myself a lot better than I did before, and 
Um, I'm, I'm more comfortable with myself. And, you know, my tolerance for bullshit went down to zero once I had children because you kind of realize that people, places, and things are not going to fix you. Everybody's got an opinion. They're, they're, you know, they're like assholes. Everybody's got one. They all stink, right? So, <laughs> and most people think that they're entitled to their own fucking facts, right? So, um, you know, and I just didn't want to really be part of that anymore. I didn't really want to, you know, the people that I associate with or the people that I engage with, if, you know, if you're in that fucking world, you know, throwing a temper tantrum because you're not getting what you want, I don't want to be part of that. And that can mean so many fucking things, you know? So I don't want to engage in the, in a, in the political con conversation. I don't want to engage in the fucking, you know, the pandemic conversation. I don't want to engage in any of that shit. Like I'm going to do what's right for me and what's right for my family. Right. And I'm going to do my best. Like I always have my whole fucking life not to try to hurt anybody else. Right. That's what I'm going to try to fucking do. So I'm going to be smart. I'm going to think it through and I'm going to educate myself. Right. I'm not just going to take this fucking soundbite from this fucking thing and this fucking thing and this fucking thing and then form an opinion. And the way that th this shit's geared up anyways, it caters to what you fucking think. You know what I mean? It's like it, the dystopia is here. Right. The dystopian society is here. And I just, I don't want to take part in that. And, you know, sometimes you have to, but most of the time I just kind of revert from that and just kind of go, fuck it. I'm just going to make the music I want to make, do what I'm going to do, live my life how I'm going to live it. And you know what? Fuck you if you don't like it. <laughs> well, it's a very refreshing attitude, my friend. And going back to that Viking record quickly, I remember, and it's true of Rancid too, but you kind of dialed it up with, you know, the bastard records. Like, you know, you're singing about like prostitution and crime and violence and addiction and death and divorce and such gnarly stuff. It was like, it was closer to me in content and lyrical themes to hip hop than it was to anything going on in punk. And I think that's what made Rancid really, really interesting and different from Day Dot for me is like, you know, all of those other kind of east and west coast punk bands or a none of them were really dressing like you guys and i know that you know fashion isn't everything but i just remember the distinct visual you know presentation you had being separate from the rest of the pack but you know it's just that kind of street level like gangster shit essentially and that's obviously from from the upbringing you guys had as well but it just it was so truthful and it just rang so truthful and you know it wasn't about political correctness or any of that well, stuff well but see that's the whole thing that confines us as human beings i feel like and back then when we were doing that that was 20 fucking years ago so obviously i'm a different fucking person you know what i mean and do i think like that well maybe bits of it but it's like it's not entirely me anymore so me to take a retrospective look at that that's what i was fucking going through that's what i was fucking doing that's what just what it was do i apologize for it absolutely fucking not i was having an experience and i was doing what i was fucking doing and guess what i sang about it and i had to get it out of me you know what I mean? like you know i mean everybody goes through changes everybody makes mistakes everybody says some things that maybe they don't wish they hadn't said i mean i'm i'm somewhat embarrassed of, of those things because now i have kids and what if they find that and go hey dad what's this and it's just be like well that's just me with a bunch of fucking naked chicks and the record you know whatever <laughs> it's like it is what it is but I'm, i've always been fucking provocative i'm not i'm not you know i i'm not a part of the sheep i'm not part of the people who 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 shame people about the way that they feel and the way that they think you know, I mean, I'm a fucking punk rocker. You know what I mean? If we start doing all that kind of stuff, then you never would have had punk rock to begin with. 
Exactly. It's not about it's not about fucking, you know, uh, demoralizing people or shaming people or <clears throat> any of that shit. It just was what it was, and it was I was using the vocabulary that I had at the time. It's like, fuck you. If you don't like it, fuck you. I don't give a shit. Like I, I have no apologies. To, I've made my apologies for apologies were needed to be made. I've made my amends to the people that are closest to me. I'll never, ever, ever apologize for my art. It's just, I'm not going to do it. No matter if I did it when I was 17 or when I'm doing it when I'm 50. If you don't like it, take the needle off the record and go on to something that you like. You know what I mean? I'm not rated G. Okay, I'm just not. I never fucking have them. So those records were a snapshot in, in time. You know, and it was a mentality <clears throat> and it was a place where I was at and it was very painful. Right. And it was very um, it was very uncomfortable. So, of course, that kind of stuff was going to come out of me. But I can't say that that was wrong because that's where I was. And so to have an authentic experience and to have a human experience. And I grew through that, obviously. And I've come out the other side. You know what I mean? And I'm able to have a stable relationship now. And I'm able to have relationships with my children as a result of going through that pain, of going through that discomfort. It's like if 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 i were to edit myself go back and edit myself i wouldn't be where i am today you right? wouldn't have the fans or the following either because the realness shines through and that's but, what people love about you and rancid but much respect but that doesn't matter to me i never did it for anybody's adulation i did it because i had a platform and it's like and i did it because that was real for me at the time and i'm and and it's like you know, I did it. I, it's just is what it is, you know, and where I'm at now is a totally different place. And I'm, I can happily say that, but I'm not going to, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. Dude, you made some kick-ass records, the soundtrack, my life. I love it. I did that wrong, I guess. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about Lemmy. Uh, I gather, was, oh, was, yeah. was he a friend of yours? Were you guys tight or did you spend some time at least with him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what well, that was one of those things, you know, Lemmy was one of the most personable dudes that you could ever meet. And one of the realest guys you could ever meet. And one of the most authentic people you could ever meet. And he was like, definitely, he was rock and roll personified, right? And he was a hero to the punks just as much as he was to the world of rock and roll. Because Motorhead, you know, the, they were like the one band where the metalheads claimed them and the punks claimed them, you know what I mean? And there was that was like the one show that you could go to back in the day where you would find punks and metalheads together and they weren't fucking beating the shit out of each other. And it was a lot of these, like, you know, it was, it was very influential on, on both the punk scene and the, and the metal scene. And when they started kind of coming together with DRI and bands like Exodus and Testament and Death Angel and of course Slayer and even Metallica for Christ's sake. So, um, but you think about Motorhead, like there wouldn't be modern hard music if, if that band was never there. Cause they were sort of like the godfathers. They were the ones to, to do it. Some may argue a different band, but Everybody knows it's fucking Motorhead. But as far as Lemmy was, Lemmy was a very classy dude. You know what I mean? He always had time. And all you had to do really was tell him a joke, talk about history, or talk about rock and roll. And you would be sitting there for hours and hours and hours. And, um, you know. Did you tour with him? Or how, how did your paths originally cross? Well, he knew how much of a fan I was. And the first time that I actually met him was, and I'd seen the band a few times, was in 1995. And Rancid was playing a show down in for K-Rock, this radio station. And um, he was there. And I said, that's fucking Lemmy. I got to go meet him. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Lemmy, I just want to let you know I'm a huge fan. He goes, name one song other than Ace of Spades. 
And I said, Metropolis, love me like a reptile, chases better than the cat, whatever. You know, I listed off whatever. And he goes, okay. I said, listen, I, I just want to tell you, I love you, your band and I'm going to get a motorhead tattoo right here because I have a rose tattoo because I love rose tattoo from Australia. Of course, and yeah. I said, nice no, I boys don't play rock and roll. Exactly. So I said, and, and then he just looked at me and deadpan me and said, well, then you better tattoo ACDC on your navel. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I do have an ACDC <laughs> tattoo, but it's not on my navel. And my motorhead tattoo isn't up here. It's on my knee. But that was kind of like the first time that we sort of, you know, got into each other's circle. And then I would go to see them a lot, you know, when they were in the Bay Area and, and you know, we'd run into each other and just say hi. It was nice at ease. And then the Dropkick Murphys ended up touring with them. And so we re, re, renewed the, uh, the friendship there. And then I think we, when we really started <clears throat> to kind of do it, I did this um, was for alternative press. And it was like, you know, a band member interviews one of their heroes and, and mine was Lenny. So I did this. And then, um, yeah, we just became uh, fast friends. Anytime he'd come into town, you know, he'd invite me and we'd spend 10, 15 minutes or whatever. And uh, you know, that would be it. And I think the last, like, you know, maybe five, 10 years of his life is when we really started to, to kind of form a bond because we had a lot of things in common. And, um, you know, we would just sit around and talk about life and and we had a lot of fun we would run around like little schoolgirls sometimes you know just having fun you know fucking with each other and and then there was a point when rancid was going he was doing a solo record um and rancid had he wanted rancid the idea was to have certain bands back him up and he was going to be the singer wow and so i went to one of the shows with my guitar because we wrote a few songs and I sat there with him and he had his bass out and I kind of showed him the riffs that we had come up with, you know, for the songs and he would love them. And he's like, let's get in and do it. And then he said something about rattlesnake off of the rancid five record. He said, uh, that's the greatest song motorhead never wrote or whatever. So he said, something I can definitely nice. hear the motorhead in that. And I could hear him oh, yeah. loving that tune. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I mean, that's my best interpretation of fast Eddie Clark. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, um, but then Matt had what we thought at the time was lung cancer. So everything shut down. So we never got to see that into fruition. It turned out not to be, thank God, and Matt's okay and doing great. But um, that's kind of what put the kibosh on that. And then we played with them. Well, I guess it was the year, maybe the year before he died. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what year uh, it was, but we did a bunch of festivals. Um, it was the Riot Fest. We did the Denver show. We did the Chicago show. And um, one of the, and then, yeah, so, I mean, I've got pictures from all this stuff, but, and then, we, and then, so since they were on tour at the same time we were, they would be playing like on our day off and it maybe be a hundred miles away, like me and, Big Chris, one of my brothers who was out with us and rancid, like he had never seen or met Lemmy. And I said, you have to meet Lemmy. He's going to love you because Chris is like six, eight. He looks like, you know, the predator. He's got long ass dreadlocks. It's just <laughs> amazing. You know, and he, yeah, he's, he's, he's a beautiful cat. He's one of the best, my best, my best friends. But um, I was like, you have to meet Lemmy because Lemmy's going to love you. And so we rented a car and we drove out to Jones Beach because I think we were playing New York. 
and we had a day off. So we drove out to Jones beach and I think it was them and anthrax and uh, I can't remember who else it was on the show, but, uh, we, we and, and of course I was right. Motorhead, uh, let me loved him. And, um, that was one of the last times I seen him, but I, what I, what, what I thought was, um, you know, I have some of his ashes, you know, that, that were sent to me in the bullet. And, um, yeah. My friend Whitfield and, Crane got one. Who's telling me about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Whitfield is um singer. Yeah. Ugly kid, Joe. I knew that name. Cause that name's always, it's like one of those hard ones to, to like, you know, forget, you know, Hopefully it's like Lars Fredrickson. But it's, anyways, it's Whitfield Crane the third. <laughs> Even oh, there you go. Yeah, so you know, and and that was kind of you know special for me. So yeah, really special. You know, man. I I have a little uh, area in my house where I have my brother and my mom's ashes and my cats and Lemmy's right there with them. So um, you know, so that was kind of special to know that like you know I was thought of in that way. But yeah, I mean, we had some so many great conversations through the years, and you know, it would really like. Cause he wasn't doing so good those last couple of years, you know, you could really tell that, you know, it was taking a toll on him and um, just being able to be there and just kind of like relax with him and, and enjoy his stories. And he would tell me about the Ace of Spades photo shoot and the whole thing and how that was done in Wigan and like um, why there's a shoelace in Fast Eddie's pants, because that was his pants had ripped. So they had to sew it up. You know what I mean? Like, on the cover of the Ace of Spades record. Like he had just had so many cool little motorhead things. And we would talk about ZZ Top and just like, you know, punk bands and stuff and how he loved it. And, you know, the damned and whatever it was, you know, we would, we would sit and we would just have a really good time and a really good chat. And then there would always be fucking jokes. You know, he was always the king of joke telling and, you know, he was just an amazing guy and he was just, you know, filled with like love. And he just, I feel like he, he really loved what he did, you know? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, I see you've revisited your UK subs days with, with the new record yeah. as well. I didn't even know you were in them until I, I was listening to you on some shows in the lead up to this chat. And um, yeah, you were in them when you were like 19 years old, moved over to London, yeah. toured with them. 
incredible. Yeah. And Charlie's yeah. another one, a bit like Lemmy, like he's just a lifer in these, a road dog, and he'll be I out. I got a there. story. I got a story. Okay, so we, I was with Charlie, is me, Steve Well from the business, Charlie Harper, and we're all together. We're sitting around. Motorhead's playing at the Brixton Academy, and um, we're all going to go see him, right? And so we get together at the pub, whatever. We walk over there, we get led to the back, up to Lemmy's room. And Lemmy and Charlie have obviously known each other for fucking 100 years, right? And it was really good to see, like, the dynamic between them. And then as we're all sitting around having a laugh, whatever, and, and I remember I remember as fucking, as if it was yesterday, and Lemmy looks up at Charlie and goes, hey, Charlie, how old are you? And Charlie goes, well, um, I'm 62 or something, you know, whatever it was. And he goes, why, Len, why do you ask? And he goes, because if it wasn't for you, I'd be the oldest cunt doing this. <laughs> I thought that's fucking. Raise the sharp humor, as you say, yes. like bang. Bang. <laughs> and it was just like the way, it, because there was a pause and we all just cracked up because it's just like, that's how, and they had such a good rapport. And they were like, you could tell it, it could have been, you know, schoolmates. Yeah, You man. know what I mean? So, I mean, Charlie is like, like my daddy, you know, I mean, he's become more of a father figure to me over the years. And then, then somebody I remember as a bandmate, like, you know, when both of my boys were born, he happened to be in San Francisco and he came and he held them and, you know, and, and right in my living room, you know, so, you know, Charlie and I are very close. I love that guy to death. You know what I mean? Obviously, like I, I consider him like a father figure. He taught me a lot in my time in the subs. I was 19. I was young, dumb and full of cum. And I just fucking you know, wanted to fight, fuck, and drink everything, you know, so. And you did, I imagine. (laughs) You know, I had my moments for sure, but I mean, you know, one of the things that, like, he, he, you know, he was trying to show me how to be, you know, in a band, and really be in a band, and, you know, like, I I was so full of myself, and so selfish, and so self-centered at that time, there was no way I could have been part of something, and that's another thing that, like, you know, over the course of time, like I've really kind of let a lot of those things go, you know, and that's why I really don't have any apologies for my behavior or anything like that, because that was all part of my experience. And I don't think anybody should have to apologize for that shit, you know, but I think there's certain instances where you should obviously, but my point is, is that like going through that transitional spot in my life, he was trying to show me something. I wasn't able to listen to him. Right. And being in the UK subs, you know, that was one of my, um, all-time favorite songs that we play. I mean, because I grew up listening to the UK subs, you know I mean? That was like my favorite fucking punk band. And then I joined them, right? So it's like... Um, as a kid, too. It's crazy, isn't it? As a kid. And so Tomorrow's Girls, the reason why I did it is two things. Number one, because I love that fucking song. Um, but number two, I wanted to see if I could remember it. So I never... I So I, I pretty much basically said, Michael, give me, give me you know... A, a, um, a click track so I can stay in time <laughs> and um, you know, and I'm going to play this song. I'm just going to see if I can do it off of memory. And I did the riff and I was like, okay, I hope that was it. Cause I was just kind of singing it in my head. And then, and he's like, why don't you, don't you have that song in your, I'm like, no, that's not the, what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to see what my, if my memory serves me correct. So, and I just sang it. I was like, I hope this is it because I probably butchered it. But um, I think I, I, I have not gone back to seeing if I fucked up yet. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the critic to come in to go, well, he didn't <laughs> say this one. I'm waiting, you know, so to see how bad I fucked up. I figured, you know, people who maybe know the song might 
might, might give me some shit about it in a loving way. But um, I kind of did it because, you know, it's also part of my history. You know, it was also a big turning point in my life. You know, and it's like those songs that I did choose for those for that EP. The first, you know, this thing that you're going to be hearing is like, you know, gods and guns, skunks, army of zombies, coming home, tomorrow's girls, and motherland. And these are six songs that, like, not only were they kind of the best songs that to come out of this recording session, but because um, I did a shit ton of them, but they were very poignant songs in my life in a lot of ways. And I wanted to kind of like make sure that like, if there was gonna be some sort of, um, you know, a bridge retrospective of my thing that I was going to try to represent it the best way possible because the UK subs being in that band was a big turning point onto where I'm at right now. There's a lot of things I learned along the way. Yeah, I made mistakes. Yeah, I stumbled and I fell. Yeah, I triumphed and I was victorious in some of these things. but no one ever learns anything from winning. You got to learn from the stumbles. You got to learn from the speed bumps. You got to learn from climbing the mountains, right? So, um, you know, that was a big one for me. And then, you know, songs like Gods and Guns and and Skunks and, and uh, Motherland, those are very um, personal songs to me as well, you know? Let's talk about Kiss. Um, okay. I, I adore Kiss. I've had Gene and Paul on this show. Um, I'll oh, get Dan. Wow. I'll get. I'll get Dan to send you the links to those two because I think they're amazing conversations with the pair of them that really highlight how different but brilliant they are in their own ways. Um, yeah. And you, for everyone, like you're a little bit older than me, so I didn't quite get like the childhood fascination with Kiss. I was, you know, right. a teenager by the time I eventually discovered them and I loved them straight away. But like, I guess you were of that generation where they were like larger than life comic book characters that had yeah. jumped off the page and, and showed you like a, a Wizard of Oz world of potential. And talk to me about discovering them, first of all, and then, you know, what well, that song in particular means to you. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's funny because I, you know, the first, so when we moved over to Denmark, my, I think my brother had been exposed to them because he was four years older than me. So he was seven or eight at the time and, um, or maybe younger, I don't know, but I remember our cousin Karen, she was into rock and roll. She was into, you know, and she played us things like Slade and Chicory Tip and Mabel and some of these like Danish glam kind of bands that were kind of popular at the time. And I know this because I, I have some of her records from a trip over there. She gave me her records and she's like, this one I used to listen to when you used to sit on my lap and blah, blah, this and that. It was like, you know, some, some Slade shittler. But it makes perfect sense to me why I would go to Kiss Musically if I was exposed to bands like Slade and T-Rex, yeah. you know, at that age, right? And I remember it was like my, I was, must have been four or five and we were at Kurt Heindel's birthday party so this might be 76 77 maybe so i could have been four and six I'm, i want to say i was closer to five so it might have been 76 because i remember he got the the poster of kiss that were dressed up like the uh you know like the the um peter chris had the headband with the blood like this the spirit of 76 you know um Anyways, it's an American thing. It doesn't matter. But I remember I think he got that poster for his birthday. Well, I had to sleep in Kurt Heindel's bedroom that was covered floor to ceiling with Kiss posters, right? <laughs> and while they sat out in the living room watching this horror movie thing that was on Channel uh, Channel 2 or Channel 44, 
I believe it was Channel 44. It was called Creature Features, right? And they would show like a horror movie. And Your memory is so amazing, can I just say? Your memory is amazing. Wow. You know, I mean, that's probably probably because I haven't drank in 28 years. But um, I and I've, I've and that, but something like this will make an impression on you because I remember being so scared because when the lights are going on and I got Gene Simmons spitting blood above my head because I'm sleeping in his bed while the older kids are out in the living room watching Creature Features. I remember my brother being so bummed because he came and he, he laid down with me until I fell asleep because I was so scared. But I remember listening to Kiss that whole day. It was Kiss Alive, stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, it was like a lightning bolt hit me. And then I got my first um, Kiss record. Uh, I think it was for my sixth birthday. I got dressed to kill. And I remember Getaway. Like that was the song, you know, that I really, really fucking gravitated to. It wasn't rock and roll night. It was like Getaway and Room Service and love her all I can. And I just remember thinking, fuck, this is, ah, oh, this is it. And I, I'm just, that started my love affair with them right then and there. And Ace Freely, you know, I mean, I, that's why I played a Les Paul forever, you know? Is um, it? That's the guy right there. Amazing. That's the guy. That's my man right there. And I mean, you could hear Ace's lips in my lips. I mean, yeah. I, I've, you know, the little chicken, like <clears throat> I ripped that off all the, over the place, but that's an Ace thing. He might have gotten from somebody else, but I heard it from Ace. But anyway, and I think that I think I got the second record, Kiss record I got was Hotter Than Hell. And I remember Strange Ways and Parasite and but come, something about coming home, you know, just, you know, just like it just got my blood boiling. And I love the lyrical sentiment in there, too. You know, it was very like um, romantic and and cool. And I, and I always drew that connection there, even at that early young age. I just never really had, um, I guess, maybe the maturity level to figure out what it really was that he was, the sentiment that he was trying to convey. And my brother and I, like, though, that was our band for many, many years. And we shared, you know, we didn't share a lot of commonalities, me and him, besides punk rock. I mean, they were, I guess... The bigger commonalities we had were like punk rock and kiss, right? And I guess it all doesn't really matter, but it's not like we've got along, you know, just because I feel like, um, you know, my dad basically telling me that I was a mistake and I was the reason why they got the, I mean, my dad was, well, it doesn't matter, but I think my brother also internalized that. So there was a lot of riffs there. Did you ever reconnect and with your dad, Lars? I did. And then I had to threaten him that I was going to kill him. So, but that's a whole other story. But um, so to get back to the kiss thing, I think the coming home song, what, why it resonated so much to me is because as I got out on the world road and started making music and <clears throat> sort of doing <clears throat> what I believe that song was supposed to be about, right? It never really was a true like connection. And it's up until my new partner, Joanna, like I really found this, like what I've been talking about, this intimacies thing where I'm out actually allowed somebody really letting them in and allowing them to take care of me, number one, to love me, number two, and to, you know, hold me in a certain way, you know? And I, and I feel like I'm lucky for that, you know, because I don't think a lot of people, I used to look at people who might've had that and thought that's not going to be attainable for me, you know? <clears throat> that's way out of my realm of possibilities. Like my mom used to say, uh, she would say, Lars, you're unlucky in love, but you're lucky in life. And I would say, yeah, that's true. And I believe that story. You know what I mean? And um, Do you think that's because you that's, didn't want to be vulnerable? 
Well, I think it's, it's a lot of things, you know, I think I didn't know how to do certain things. You know, I thought I did. I thought I was capable of, of certain things. And, um, you know, but there was always a reservation because there was always an abandonment thing, you know, like, and then maybe it goes back to my, my dad telling me that I was a mistake and, you know, how I was unwanted and very clearly explaining that to me and then feeling like, well, what, well, how do I, and I'm seven and I'm like, how the fuck, you know, or when my dad went out and shot a couple people and came back to my mom with the gun and my mom hid the gun for him, you know, it's just, it was like shit like that, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, you know, holding on to all of that, like, well, she knows that he said that I was in this, like, and she's now she's helping him in this. It's, it was really fucking, you know, obviously, you know, when I look back at it, it just is what it is, but it might've shaped me. But um, my point is, is that it's like, um, I feel like I never could, I could always get to a certain point, especially in like romantic relationships. Like I could only could get into a certain uh, place with them. And then it was like, then I would start to look for evidence why I shouldn't be here. And since I'm such a, a fucking highly intelligent private investigator, it's very easy for me to find the evidence. And a lot of the times the evidence is actually just the fear that I'm experiencing because I'm becoming vulnerable. So I'm looking for opportunities like point A or point B to gather. Then I hold them tight because I'm a fucking Virgo and I don't fucking let anybody, I, don't, I hold my cards up here, even though I'm loud. But I, and, I, and, then I, and then when the time is right, I fucking say, well, you're not doing this. This is not what's going down. Fuck you. I'm out. Right. And that was always the excuse. And that was always sort of my MO. Um, Which was kind I of self-preservation, you thought, right? But obviously in, in that action, you're denying yourself real connection, as you say. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know if that was something I was taught or something I just learned how to protect myself along the way. It's like, like I said, those survival instincts that you, that you gather along the way from your upbringings or from your schooling or from, you know, your situations, you know? So like, I mean, when I went to juvenile hall when I was 11, like when I got out of that, it wasn't about don't break the law again, Lars. It was like, don't get caught again, Lars. You know, like that's the way I was thinking. And I didn't, you know? So when I still was grimy and did stupid shit. But my point is, it's like, I feel like to get back to the Kiss song and to kind of sum that up, like once I kind of started experiencing this, this relationship I got in with this woman that I had known for about nine years and never did anything because she was in other relationships or I was married and I just never, I, I'm not a, I'm not a cheater, right? I'm not a, I don't fuck around. So um, I just kind of just, I said, I need to walk into this completely different. I need to kind of smash these old ideas and, and then where I'm, you know, instead of struggling for power, it's kind of like, you know, there's that, that old saying, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's talking about being two pillars, right? And then you're not drinking from each other's cups, but you're filling each other's cups up, right? You're drinking from your own cup, which means be accountable for your shit, you know? Because everybody can, can, it's really easy to blame somebody else for your own mistakes. And I did it for fucking years. And as a matter of fact, I found a lot of validity in that, you know? And I found, I found a lot of um, self-confidence with that in a weird way. and but what I ended up being was like this self-centered, selfish kind of person, you know, and maybe not um, to the immediate, but like, if you really were getting into the core of me, I, that's when I became, you know, a little bit more skittish and, and trepidatious. And then I'd pull back and then I would become selfish and self-centered. 
You know what I mean? And I used my body for a long time to get what I want, you know? And um, it's just like, it's, it's like you start making these connections, you know, and, and, and you, 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 you do it number one for yourself. And because anytime I would want to change something, I would try to do it for somebody else. And I would use like, Oh, my kids, I got, I can't do this anymore for my kid. Oh, because of, you know, the band, I can't do this because of the band. I can't do this because of my wife or my girlfriend. I can't do this because of my mom. I can't do this because, you know, the, li- the list of excuses would go on and on and on and on. Coming home, I was just like, fuck it. I understand what this song is. Now I'm going to do it. I mean, the polar opposite thing that I probably, you know, would have done maybe 20 years ago, I would have probably told you how much I loved Kiss, but I never would have covered them. You know what I'm saying? So I'm kind of like, I, I just, I felt like that song was, was something that I felt inside. And it's something that I finally made a connection with, like a true connection. And I tried to understand what Paul was writing about or Gene or whoever wrote those lyrics. Because it's like, I mean, if you think about those lyrics as a traveling musician, how they ring true. And it's only somebody in that certain position who might've toured across the world or take a job that travels that keeps you away from your, your, your family or your partner or whatever it is. And it's like, you really understand the gravity of what he was trying to get out there. And it might've just been a certain feeling he was feeling at a time. And maybe he had no idea that this kind of emotion was going to hit somebody 50 years later after he wrote it, but it did. Bada bing, bada bing. Well, I, th- I think that especially Gene, you know, I think he's got a lot more heart than people give him credit for. Uh, and, you know, with a band like Kiss, they're easy to write off and just go, oh, that's a silly rock and roll band. But there's weight, there's depth, you know, there's real emotions there. Um, another song I'd love to pick your brain about is kind of the flip side of what you're saying. And, and first of all, I'm really stoked that you found that and you have that in your life because um, it's an amazing thing when you find it and you do have it. Bon Scott, for me, is like, the greatest of the greats and it took me years until i finally like appreciated this song because it's not like a smasher but ride on dude is like that song uh, have you been that guy too have you been the lonely motherfucker out there on the road rolling from town to town like yes i have been but the thing about it is i was there was such a close connection to that song and it's probably because of the time but i remember you know before i started getting out on the road the few funerals that I would attend by younger guys, maybe from the neighborhood, that was the song that they chose to play them out. Wow. So, and so I have a very, I don't want to talk about it anymore, but so that song, yeah, means a lot, but I, you know, as far as ACDC goes, like, you know, I love Bon Scott. I mean, you know, I feel like ACDC like had two careers. basically. Yeah. Yeah, man. The song that really like made me an ACDC fan was Night Prowler. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Last song on Highway to Hell, right? Yeah. yeah. A and dark, that song dark is... tune, isn't it? Whoa. You're like, oh <laughs> God damn it. I mean, like the song Zombies on um on uh Holger Dansk, the very last song. I kind of try to model that song to Night Prowler. Like I thought, you know, it's gotta have that really like. Because the Night Prowler was a legit dude who came and murdered people, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he took took his moniker from from that song, Richard Ramirez. Anyway, dude, is there a little bit of the cramps in um? What's the fucking tune? I wrote it down here. I was listening to it earlier. Mainline and murder. Yes. Yeah, I think that was definitely. I wrote that song on my couch, and 
that song is funny because I was trying to quit smoking and that's what I was, that's what I was writing about. And, and so far so good. You kicked them to touch still. No, I didn't. I still smoked up until about three years ago. Now I don't smoke. That's why I keep eating these fucking things. These nicotine pills. Oh, the nicotine lozenges. But I haven't smoked a cigarette in, well, this month will be three or four years. So. Did you find they were harder than booze to kick? I find them the hardest out of everything. Yeah, definitely. Because, um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, yes, because I'm still on the fucking nicotine pills. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, as the new year approaches, you know, there's certain things like I don't like I'm, 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 if 25 year old me saw me or was listening to me now, 25 year old me would punch me in the face and kick me in the nuts because I don't eat gluten. I don't eat corn. I don't eat soy. I don't eat eggs. I don't eat dairy. Right. I don't, I just, I've completely changed everything. Right. And I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke cigarettes. I'm fucking a. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's drawn a square I'm for the benefit of everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're living longer, dude, and you're happier, and that's what matters. You're around for your kids, and that's all that matters, right? That's all. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. I mean, all this stuff, you know, that we do as far as this musical stuff. I'm very proud and happy of the history and the opportunities I've been given. But at the end of the day, you can't take any of this shit with you when you die, right? The one thing that you can do is you can have a sense of satisfaction, you know, and for me, where that lies today is within my family, you know what I mean? And I'm grateful and I'm, I'm totally respectful of all of the, the accolades and the love and the support that have been given over these years. And um, I'm just at this place now where it's like, you know, I'm just so wanting to to love hard on my family and and just be the family man. You know, that's all I ever really I think I ever really wanted at the end of the day was to have a family and and to to share in that. And the places that I looked for acceptance or the places that I looked for validation or security or love, like you know, I found it all right here. You know what I mean? And when I found that, I was able to transmit that. And it's like you can't transmit something you haven't got. And so it's like, I don't look at like my past history as like failures or, or, um, you know, whatever they might be, uh, you know, in a negative sense, I always look at them as learning lessons. You know, I learned a certain thing and if I didn't get it out of me at that time, I never would have learned or become where I'm at now. Right. So, you know, and I think this, this record is, is just part of that journey for me, the CP. Yeah, man. Well, listen, dude, I could literally talk to you for days on end. I feel like that's a beautiful note to end on, though. And it's just been amazing for me, dude, to sit down and, and connect with you in this way and, and hear about, you know, the journey you've been on and continue to walk. It's inspirational, man. So thank you for well, everything. Much respect. Well, thank you for taking your time, my friend, and, and good luck and be safe, okay? I'll see you in the UK next year. Cheers, mate. Nice one, dude. Cheers, Lars. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.